So before we look at God's word, which I'm very excited to share with you today, because in a lot of ways, it's a reflection of what's going on in my own life. Oh, there it is. I should have done that beforehand. But before we look at God's Word, I want to I talk about just us for a little bit. For a lot of you, um, you may not know, but hi, my name is Joe. Thank you, Don, for that introduction. It was beautiful. Um, but I wanted to take a little bit to update you on my family. A lot of you already know, but I, I figured a few moments probably wouldn't hurt. Um, this is a picture. Uh, Kristen and I were blessed to be able to go visit our daughter, Annika, in Tel Aviv. And so this is of the Mediterranean. Um, right after uh, I had some food that got me really sick for about a month. But anyway, we're not going to talk about that. Uh, so this is the Mediterranean. It was very beautiful. We were there to visit Annika. So here's Annika on her dig. She's currently uh, finishing up week three of four of her dig site, and so which is very excited, exciting. I when I talked to her yesterday, she was telling her, the leader, uh, her professor who's in charge, as well as the site supervisor and the supervisor of her little section, of how happy she is and how excited she is and how much she loves it. A lot of people don't care for this part of archaeology. They like the air-conditioned like, research part in the library um, or the, the after the fact. But she's really been enjoying it. Um, I've, I've taken three photos here that really show her love or smile that's going on, but also that she's really clean because at the end of the day, she is very, very dirty, um, very dirty. And so um, the middle picture is Annika's holding a little pot. So she's digging in an area that is uh, a layer that was um, uh, messed up, it was deconstructed. So it was really a messed up area. And so she has this little tiny pot that they believe was used for ceremonial purposes. And it's intact, which is amazing. And so she was very excited about this find, and they kind of wrote about it. Uh, one of the other ones in her little square that she works in is she found a, um, that we found, I found out yesterday, it was actually a cow's horn. They don't know why, but it, the horn was cut. So it's a clean edge. It wasn't like it was shed. It wasn't like it was broken off. It was actually cut. So they found a horn, two horns, and like a sheep mandible. So like their jawbone in her section. And so she is, you know, very excited about this in these finds, which is fun, which is great to see her light up like that. So here is she in, in Israel. This is at the Tel Azeka, um, which is about a couple hours, I believe, from Tel Aviv. Uh, what direction? I think it's, I don't know. I'm not even going to speculate, right? <laughs> then we have Elise. So these all, most of these three Two, there's three pictures, I have one on the next slide, but three out of the four were at least approved. One, she didn't know was there, but I knew it was a good one, right? And that's, so I'm excited because here, Elise just graduated with Lydia from Riverside. She's going to George Fox with Lydia. They're not in the same program, but they're going there together. Um, I'm very excited and happy because this pastor, Elise, was baptized, right? And that brings tears to me. Right, and so I'm very excited about that. So, but she's been a blessing. She's been really, really good. Uh, her and Maddox, they have, you know, he's three and she's, you know, almost 19. Next month, 19. Um, and so, which is weird to think. Uh, but, you know, they get along great most of the time, like siblings do. 
Uh, but she's, it's going to be really hard when she moves away, not only for Kristen and I, but also for Maddox. Here we have Maddox, right? So Kristen and I, what can I say, right? What can I say? So we have Annika, who's 22, Lisa, who's almost 19, she's 18, and then we have Maddox, who's three. That's right, big guy, you're three, right? And so Maddox, for his birthday, he's got an excavator, so he was super excited. Uh, that and his bike are probably his two most favorite things just about right now. Uh, he was riding his bike throughout the house this morning, and then we had to take a little walk, and then he was riding the bike again in the house. So he, was, he loves his bike. But he is just a ball full of energy. Um, he's just a lot of fun with us. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of hard times, which we're going to talk about, but there's also a lot of good times, right? And so uh, sometimes we focus on the negativity. We focus on the things that are hard. And we're going to talk a little bit about that with our children, with our friends, with our family. But in, in everything, they bring joy, which is very exciting and a lot of fun, right? So they bring joy. So if you have your Bible, both analog, right, analog as well as digital, uh-oh, there he is, right? There he is. We're going to look at Mark chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 35, right? And the title of this sermon, I've titled it The Storm, and, and I'm sorry for the guys in the back, but I'm a mover. I've, I've become much more of a mover and a walker. But, but uh, so hopefully it's just wide angle and you don't have to worry about it, right? But we called it, I called it the storm because this is Jesus calming the storm, right? This is the, the, where he is out and he calms the storm in early Mark. And this is a story that is also in Matthew and in Luke, right? And some of it, I, I chose Mark just because he gives a little bit more detail, uh, and uh, which is a lot of fun. And so we're going to look at that today. Um, and so I want to read it. Oh, I got the thing right here. So we're going to look at it. Um, and so this is what it says. It says, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them, with him. Uh, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, and that the boat was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on a cushion. Wouldn't that be nice? Right? And they awoke him, they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm, and he said, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So we're going to look at this passage. I'm really going to break it up into three different chunks. Um, and we're going to look at Jesus saying, let's go across the Sea of Galilee, because that's where they're at. They're heading to go across we're going to look at the violent storm that came about with the disciples freaking out. And we're going to look at Jesus calming the storm and what happens after that. And so 
that's the kind of the three sections that we're going to look at. But at first, what I want to do is I want to back up a little bit. How did we get to this point? How do we get to Jesus here saying, let us go across to the other side? And how, why is it that he is asleep in the back of the boat, right? He's lounging it up in the back. So how do, how do we get there? So what we have to understand is right before this, we had the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is there preaching and teaching to all these people, right? He meets the centurion. And Jesus says to all of the Israelites that are around, all of the disciples who have been following him and seeing different miraculous things. And he says, there's no one in Israel that I have found such faith, right? Which is an amazing thing. You think the Sadducees were there, the Pharisees were there, the disciples were there, right? And he says this with such just amazement, right? And the centurion was there who was not a Jew, and he was there on behalf of his servant who had just died. What faith to be able to do that. One of my favorite stories in all, the, in, in all of uh, the Bible is we see Peter's mother-in-law is sick and Jesus goes and heals her, right? We're not gonna go into that because that's a different thing for a different day, but that is one of my truly most favorite things I've re- read about in the Bible is that story where she was healed after being sick. And then he tells us uh, the scribes and the cost of living with him, right? And it's like, they go, teacher, what do we have to do? And he goes, follow me. And he goes, okay, let me go bury my father. And he says, let the dead bury the dead. And it's silence. How could he have just said that? How could he have said that, right? And he goes and he has all these people surrounding him and walking with him and and crowded with him, right? And I have just a thought of this because when Kristen and I were in Israel, we did this tour of uh, Jerusalem, a walking tour. And we had just, and it was to go to different places, not such touristy places, but we had to cut through the Villa de la Rosa, a, a couple of streets to get to where we were going. And it was shoulder to sholdered. Kristen's holding on to Annika's purse that's around her for not to be separated. And I've never been in a a situation where I have people pressed up against me on all sides. And that's um, an interesting thing, but this is what I'm imagining with people wanting to get to Jesus, wanting him to heal them, wanting to so badly to hear what he has to say. And this is very early on, right? And we know that Jesus is both man and God. And he goes, let us go to the other side of the lake. Right? Let us go to the other side of the lake. So they go across, they're heading across to the other side. Right? And on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat. Right? That's 35 and 36. And it's very interesting because Jesus gets into the boat with his, with his disciples. But this is what, where I start to get a little bit entertaining. I have Maddox. I have two other girls. My girls are much older. As a lot of you have children, right? And you tell them, hey, 
Let's do this. Let's have a popsicle. And they look at you, and then all of a sudden they go, hey, I'll have a popsicle. Let's have a popsicle, mom or dad or who, aunt, uncle, whoever. And then all of a sudden it's their idea. That's what I'm reading here from Mark. Oh, Jesus says, we're going to go to the other side of the lake. Yeah, let's, let's do that. And they took him with them like it was their idea, right? But how often do we do that with Jesus? How often are we the ones that hear God's talking to us, God directing us, and he's the one going, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go here, talk to this person, meet this person, pray for this person, and do all this. And then all of a sudden, you're like, hey, I should go over here. And you tell people like it's your idea, right? We do that all the time. I see that from my kids. I do that to my kids, right? Elise is back there probably going, yeah, preach it, dad, right? Because she knows, right? We, it's something that we do. And we see it not only in kids, but in adults, right? In, in situations at work where I've seen that. And Maddox is getting very good at that, especially with things that he really wants. Or you give him an idea, either food, usually it's food, or some kind of an activity, and then he is really working hard to get to there, to get to that, to do that, because all of a sudden he thinks it's, it's what he wants to do. But here we have all the disciples in the boat, and Jesus took them, and Jesus was with them, excuse me, and they were like children, as I said, suggesting that they would go. And I see Jesus hearing this and looking at them with nothing but love and compassion and shaking his head like, yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Let's do that. Right? And how often he, he does that to me all the time. And I'm assuming that he does that to all, every believer, that he looks at you with compassion. He looks at you with love. He looks at you with nothing that we've ever seen before in his eyes. And he's like, yeah, let's do that. In this instance and situation, I understand Jesus a little bit better, especially with Maddox, because Maddox is so different than my girls. And I've told Elise, I go, this is very Maddox-centric, very Maddox-focused. You've heard a lot, yeah, she's very excited very uh, thrilled, right? We we tend to tell a lot of stories about our children or our family or our parents, which I do a lot of. But this is something that is very similar, right? I have a better understanding of Jesus when he's showing his love to them by not saying anything, by not rebuking them, by not telling them, well, I suggested that first, right? But he just was like, yeah, let's do that. Let's go. And he gets in the boat. And we know that he gets in the boat and he starts to go across. And he, Jesus being man, fully man, he is there and he is tired. Very tired. Now, I, I get exhausted at work. I get tired with my children. But I just don't understand the level of effort that Jesus put out. I have a car I can drive. He walked, right? 
I can filter things through email and phone and text, and he was face-to-face. I listen intently, and I try to understand. He listens with his heart and the whole being of God, and he understands fully. The level of effort that Jesus has and that he puts out for every single one of us is something that I will probably never fully understand. The love that he has for us, I'll probably never fully understand. And as he is going, let's go across the lake, as he is taking a moment to cross instead of walk all the way around with all these crowds of people, and he takes a moment with his disciples, those closest to him, and he gets into a boat, and it's just them. He is is able to just relax and to just sit and enjoy. And we know in the next uh, verse that um, starting in 37 that, he, that he's asleep. He ends up falling asleep. His body is tired, right? My body is exhausted just trying to run down Maddox. I can't even imagine what he's going through. I just don't. But we know that he is out there. We know that Jesus, as he is in the boat, he has a very good understanding of what's going on. And we know that because of other places in the Bible, he is in constant communication with God. He's pulling away. He's praying all the time. He is always talking to God and listening to God because he knows God's plan. He understands what God wants of him to do. And so he is able to fall asleep in the boat. And I can see the disciples as they're getting in the boat, they look back at Jesus and say, hey, are you coming too? Yeah, I'm coming, I'm I'm getting there, right? But after he gets in the boat, they're like, okay, we're gonna go. And then we see in Mark, in verses 37, right? It says, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat. Sorry, that's dramatic by me. Uh, So that the boat was already filling and that he was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And when they awoke, they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now we have seen God use the storm in a lot of different places. One of the easiest ones that I can think of that I'm going to give two examples of many is Jonah. Jonah is running away from God. Right? He is running away from God. And he is doing so, and he's with these guys in a boat heading right from Jaffa to the other end of the world. Right? And I have the whole veggie tales in my head, right? But to the other end of the world. And he's out there in this boat and with these guys who have been in the Mediterranean that are hardened sailors who have been there, have seen just about everything that has come about all the time, and they freak out. And they don't know what to do. And they end up pulling lots. And Jonah receives not the lot he wanted. And then he goes overboard. And we know what happens, right? He gets swallowed by the the fish, the whale. He gets swallowed. He's there for three days. And then he spit out, he's out on the shore and he goes to Nineveh to tell them 
to repent. Harden people who are scared. The other, the other instance, the example that I can think of is of Exodus in the Red Sea. When Moses and Aaron brought the Israelites to the Red Sea and they're standing there and he raises up his staff and God brings a strong wind from the east. And here are the Israelites. Here are the Israelites. A lot of them know Moses' upbringing. A lot of them understand that Moses who killed the Egyptian and ran into the desert and came back, they know that. And they're going, okay, wait a minute. Hang on, you want us to follow you there. So if we follow you, we could die by water because we know that the Israelites following Moses weren't necessarily 100% trusting of God or of Moses. Or we could stay here and maybe be killed by the uh, the Egyptians behind us. What are we going to do? The dilemma is there. They end up following Moses, following him through the Red Sea. We know the Egyptians go in after them. The sea comes back, and the Egyptians that were there were no more. In both cases, we have people with different events, storms that God has brought about, different things that God has brought about, of many, I should add, to where we have to trust God. Those people had to trust in God and the people that God has chosen to do the right thing. When Jonah was finally chosen, he didn't say, no, this is wrong. He didn't do anything. He accepted and he understood what he had done. He ran against God. The Israelites took what they were given, what they were seeing and what they were doing and what, the evidence that, that was done by God with the 10 plagues and they followed Moses into the Red Sea and into the wilderness after that. Ultimately, they followed, they followed what God had. And God did amazing things in both instances. With Jonah, he did amazing things with the people of Israel, with Moses, right? With Joshua after Moses. But we see here in verse 37 that a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking onto the boat and the boat was filling. But here we have Jesus sleeping in the back on a cushion. I think it's very entertaining. There's no um, sarcasm at all in the fact that Mark puts in there he's sleeping on a cushion, right? There's none at all, right? It's just very entertaining that he would put that in there. Why would he do that? But then I started thinking, what about somebody sleeping in such a situation? Could that matter? And I figured there's two types of people, of probably many, but two types that came to mind of people who could sleep in that. One is of sheer exhaustion, you have worked so hard, you've expended so much energy, it doesn't matter what's going on, and you're asleep. And it reminds me of a picture I saw uh, of a story of a dad's half cockeyed on a couch, half on the couch and half on the floor. And he's laying there, 
And his wife took the picture and he, she said that in the, the thing that he had promised his child, I can't remember if it was a boy or girl, he promised his child that they would play with him afterward. This is after an 18-hour day. He was in construction clothes, so I'm assuming it was a heavy manual labor job, something in construction, and he's there asleep and the kid's just playing, like climbing all over him. But he's out cold due to sheer exhaustion. Jesus could have been in the back out of sheer exhaustion on the human side of him as he is dealing and working and, and performing miracles and teaching because that is in walking everywhere, right? That's just hard on somebody. The other person that, that can fall asleep is somebody who is completely at peace with what's going on. They have no care in the world, right? They're completely at peace. Me, I'm not like that. My brain is always going, you know, thinking, 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 which is terrible because it takes me forever to fall asleep. But so we see Jesus asleep and we're like, he, because of his constant communication, because he's always talking to God, listening to God, he knows God's plan and God's will because he's always talking to him and around him and pulling away and praying and the importance of that, that he is at peace with whatever's going on because he knows. He knows. He knows what God wants. He knows what God wants for him. And he knows that because of that, he is not going to die in this situation. He's not going to fall in this situation. This is a storm that is brewing and that is going on. And the boat is filling and is filling up. And we know that Jesus is tired and he is asleep and the waves are crashing. Now, the other part of this that really makes me laugh are the other people in the boat, right? So we have Jesus, he's asleep in the back. We have the disciples that are with them. Now, here's the thing that makes me laugh. The disciples are undoubtedly unnerved by what's going on. They're freaking out, and there are at least four that had spent their lives on the water. We know that there are four that were fishermen, seamen. They were out there on the water. We know Peter and Andrew were fishermen. We know James and John were fishermen, the son of Zebedee. Right? We know they were fishermen. And for them to say the disciples go to Jesus, that they were freaking out of what's going on, Right, because the, they're so panicked of what's going on. The only thing they can think of is we have to wake him because he has to do something. For each and every one of us, as we are in a storm, it is often easy enough for us to be able to look for somebody else rather than to have faith in what God is going to do. It is easier for us to focus on ourselves than focus on God's plan for us. In February of 2020, my last day at Alaska was February 21st because my position was eliminated and I had no job. So I was looking for work. I had a lot of good promising leads at Alaska and other places. And then all of a sudden, March 12th happened. And everything shut down. There were no jobs. 
There was no work. There was nobody on the roads, right? People were dressed up in hazmat suits, going, going to the store, right? It was a pandemonium. It was nothing like anybody had ever seen before. We were pregnant. We found out on March 9th that we were having a boy. Three days before everything shut down. Right? That is amazing. If there's any time for somebody to be totally freaked out, that would have been it. I have no job, no insurance, really, right? Except Cobra that I was paying. We're pregnant and I'm old, right? Just saying, right? I'm 46, feeling pretty old out there looking for work, okay? And having a child and having one in college, right? And one almost in college, right? I'm feeling really old. But if there's any time to understand what is God's plan and what is God's will and to be able to use that as my foundation, that was it. And that's what happened. I didn't get discouraged. I didn't let the anxiety overwhelm me. I focused on my foundation, which was God. And we had a lot of trials, a lot of challenges. We were definitely in the midst of a storm. Not just us, but thousands and thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of other people in a storm. And you keep that foundation of Christ in going, I can do all things through Christ, right? Who strengthens me. But that's for the believer. That's not for somebody, right? Christ is going to strengthen me because I am his follower, because I know he's got a plan for me. I know God's got a will for me. I just have to keep my heart and my eyes open to what is that? And granted, the difference between us collectively, the church today, and the disciples is the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit where they had Jesus in the flesh, but they didn't really understand until the Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. They didn't look back and say, oh, I get it now in this situation. Oh, I get it now in that, that place. Oh, I understand what Jesus is saying. Right? Because in a lot of ways, when Jesus would talk to them, and we're going to hear this in just a few minutes, right? they would ask a question, and Jesus would answer, and then they would, the disciples would, I have this hearing of Maddox, because Maddox, you ask him, hey, do you want, dang it, do you want a popsicle? And he goes, huh? You ask it a different way. Do you want this? Huh? How about this? Huh? Huh? But it's not just, that doesn't just happen with my three-year-old. Right? My nephew did the same thing and he's 13. <laughs> I just laughed. I'm like, oh man. So it's going to be like this for at least 13 years. Right? But as they're in the boat, they go and wake him up, right? The boat and the disciples, they're freaking out, All right? Let's see where I'm at. Um, before I get to that point, our lives today, there is a storm happening. As we get closer to Christ returning, 
that storm gets more and more intense. More and more intense. And we as believers are looked at differently because of that. People don't understand that Christ is returning or they don't care, but we do. But what I get is in my head is I, under, I start to hear in one of, one of my favorite movies is The Count of Monte Cristo. And Jim Caviezel plays the count. And he's giving this birthday blessing. And he goes, at this birthday speech, and he goes, life is a storm, my young friend. You will bask in the sunlight one moment and be shattered on the rocks the next. Isn't that true for our lives? Every single one. He ends up going, what makes you a man is what you do when that storm comes. We can change that because we can be basking in the sun. We can be there happy, everything is going good, and then all of a sudden, everything is falling apart around us. We are in the midst of that storm, and what makes us who we are is how do we act when that storm comes? Do we act like everybody else or do we put our faith in Christ, in Jesus, in God the Father, listening and talking to the Holy Spirit, to God? What do we do when that storm comes? That's what makes us the believers that we are. And it's hard because we live in a time when storms come from all places, all angles, all directions. Family, friends, and work, right? In all instances, we have to know where, and we do, should know where that storm is coming from. The storm is coming from our enemy, plain and simple. Because the full, sole focus of the enemy is to keep our attention away from God. Plain and simple. Right? Wants to distract us from keeping our eye on the prize keeping us from getting to the finish line, keeping us from the ultimate goal. Right? In all of these examples, people are scared. Believers are scared. All of these examples, people are always scared when the storm comes. I would be lying to say I wasn't, but I was. I was scared. I didn't know what the future had. But I knew that God had a plan. And that understanding of who Jesus is really was my foundation. And it allowed me to worry, but it didn't consume me at all. The disciples were freaking out. And even though there were guys in that boat who understood and knew from lifetime of fishing, lifetime of being in boats, they were still freaking out. And here, what happens next, as we, like the disciples, have anxiety consume us, 
have panic consume us. As the storm is surrounding us to where we feel like we're suffocating. And it's hard. They do something that the only thing they felt they could do, right? Which is our third point, which is Jesus calming the storm. So in verse 39, it says, uh, I'm going to go back to 38, it says, but he was in the stern of sleep on the, on the cushion. 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea, and to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Reading Scripture, to me, doesn't all the time necessarily emphasize the emotion behind the words. Because we see that the storm is going on. The disciples are distraught. They don't know what to do. Water is filling the boat. It's tipping because of the wind. And they go and wake up Jesus. Excuse me. Excuse me, master, teacher, will you please wake up? We're perishing. They're not doing that. Somebody go wake him up. Peter, you go wake him up. Uh, Are you awake? Uh, we're dying, right? That's not what's going on. These guys are in panic mode, right? Teacher, we're dying. Why are you sleeping? We're perishing. How many times, those who have kids, have those kids come into your room, you've nodded off on the couch, you're in a chair, you sit down, you turn on a movie, you're like, oh, okay, here we go right? You go to eat something and all of a sudden it's full on panic. I need you now, right? And you wake up at the end of the question because that's what we read. Teacher, why are you sleeping? We're perishing. It's like, do you not care? And, he, and then it says, he awoke. Huh? Right? Just, you know, with my own kids, it's like, give me a minute. I need a minute here to process what all is going on. The disciples were freaking out and they're screaming, probably because each other are screaming, probably because they can't hear with the wind and the waves and crashing and there's water and everybody else, so panic is running amok. And they're not just going, teacher, excuse me, can you wake up? Right, that's not, they're freaking out, they're screaming. Teacher! I would like to say that I have done that. freaked out. I panic, right? And I'm not there going, I'm not there, <laughs> I'm not there out there going, you know, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope, right? Excuse me, help me, Lord Jesus, you're my only hope, right? I'm not there saying that. I'm screaming to God for help. I'm screaming to God why I need you. Why, comma, I need you. Screaming with everything I have. Send your spirit. Help 
me. Say, God, I know you have a plan, but please, what is it? I need a road sign here. Give me a billboard. Give me something. Hit me in the head. And God's like, okay, here. But I'm so loud with myself, I don't hear God's voice, or I don't see God's message, or I don't understand the people that God are putting in my life to speak to me at all. But I'm saying, help me. Help me. And seeing Jesus' calmness in all of this, he wakes up. And I, I have this vision of him waking up and looking at each person in the boat with nothing but love and compassion in his eyes and talking and seeing them. And then he looks around and sees the storm that is going on, seeing the water in the boat, probably standing in water, seeing the frightened look on their faces. And he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Saying something, three words that we are told. And we don't know the conviction behind it. It could have been soft and gentle. It could have been loud and powerful. We are told that God's voice in the Old Testament, it was like a rushing wind. Was that Christ's voice here? Or was he soft and loving to them and soft in his words? Peace, be still. And the disciples are afraid because immediately everything calms. And I have this vision of being on a boat and the water is like glass just like glass. The sun is now out. There's no more clouds. It's just 180 degree difference. Peace and be still. And looking at the disciples and looking at them with nothing but compassion and love in his eyes. After this, he says, why are you so afraid? They're still afraid. Everything is great. Everything is hunky-dory, but they're still afraid. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Have you not been with me? Have you not seen the miracles that I have done? Have you not seen or heard the words that I have said? Have you not heard the teaching and the preaching of the parables? Have you not seen how I've talked to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and everybody else, the scribes? Have you not seen this? Have you not seen what I have done with the centurion? Why are you so afraid? Do you not know who I am? We, we do. The disciples know who Jesus is. He's Jesus. Jesus. We know who Jesus is. He's Jesus. But he's not just Jesus. He's not just Jesus. Right? We know who Jesus is. But do we understand who Jesus is? The disciples didn't understand in that moment who Jesus was or who Jesus is. 
We understand who Jesus is. Jesus is the son of the almighty God. Jesus is God. He's one of the trilogy. Jesus is God. We understand. And that is, that is a, that's an interesting thought, right? To go from, do you know who Jesus is? Know Jesus. Yeah, I know Jesus. My dad knows Jesus. I'm, I guarantee it. There's not very many people in the United States that don't know the name of Jesus. They either worship him or they curse him. It's one or the other. And a lot of people on both sides don't understand who Jesus is. He is our Lord and Savior. He is our Savior. He is the one who came for us. He is the one who died for us. To give an example for us. So that we then can do something which is believe in him so that we can be with him. If we believe in him, then we can be with him. Jesus did something that none of us would ever be able to do. He did it within a storm. Not only in this instance, but in life. Jesus is God. He is. And we live, like I said before, we live in a time where storms are always coming at us. Right? From all places, all angles, all directions. The storm comes from the enemy. And he wants to distract us from us keeping the eye on Christ. And that's it. But we, do we know who Jesus is? Do we know who God is? God is Jehovah Jireh. Right? We used to sing that song. I know a lot of you remember, right? You get the, the organ with the, the kind of the polka beat to it. Jehovah Jireh. I'm bouncing in my seat. Right? Dun, 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 right? Which means the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Right? We are told that once we become believers, once we give our life to Christ, once we are brought into the family that is Jesus, right? We are told that we the Lord will provide. He will be our provider. He will take care of us. He is our new family. And for a lot of people, that's huge. He is our new family. We're also told that he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Now, this is something that not a lot of people, I think, fully get. Because not only, he is not only just a healer of broken bones or broken things, right? I would say physical things. He is also the healer of emotional, spiritual things, right? He heals us. He is our healer, right? But he is not our healer here if we don't believe. He is our healer. He is also Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. Right? And this is a banner like you're going to go to war. You have your banner. Now, I grew up loving history. I still do, my poor children. Right? 
I guess I am, that impression was very strong on Annika since she's now working to be an archaeologist, speaking of history, right? But during the Civil War, the most coveted job, one of the most coveted jobs was the person holding the banner. Because without that, you didn't know where your company was, and that was everything to those guys at that time. And once the guy with the banner got hit, because that was the goal for a lot of uh, people in the army and the during the Civil War, somebody else would take up that banner and continue running. And guys would flock to that banner. The Lord is my banner. I want him in front of me always. I want to be my eyes towards where he is going at all times. The Lord is my banner. He is the one that is going to help me fight the fight win the battles, but I can't do it unless I know where he is at at all times. The Lord is our banner. But the Lord is also Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is my peace. The Lord is my peace. We live in a time of a great storm. And we are bombarded with wind and rain and hail and sleet and ice pellets and all sorts of other things that hit us every single day, right? From our mobile devices to family to friends to news to media to movies to music to whatever. As soon as we walk out those doors, we are bombarded with a storm from the enemy that is working to make sure that we are distracted from Christ. But God, Jehovah, the Lord is my peace. I can take that and go, if I follow him, I will have peace. I will not have that raging storm within me. The Lord is my peace. The Lord is there. The Lord is my provider. The Lord is my healer. The Lord is my banner and the Lord is my peace. I need Christ I need God the Father to be my provider. I need God to be my healer because I am not perfect. I need help. And he's going to help. The Lord is my banner because I need to follow something straight and true with a foundation that will never waver, never crumble, never fall apart. The Lord is my banner that I'm running towards. The Lord is peace because I need peace within me because that is where a lot of the battles truly lie, is within us. And I need Christ to be my peace. The Lord is my peace. Is he your peace? Is he your banner? Is he your healer? Is he your provider? We need God very much. And every generation poses different challenges. The storm is slightly different for each generation, but let me tell you, it's still a storm. And people are scared. Just as the disciples were scared, people today are scared. People tomorrow will be just as scared. But we can show them, we can tell them who Christ is as our provider, as our healer, as our banner, 
and as our peace, the one who gives us peace. And I pray that as we leave here, that as we go forth, as we just head out into the unknown, through those doors, that we will remember who Christ is for each and every one of us. That as the storm rages around us, that we remember who he is. Remember who he is. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are simply amazing. There is nothing that compares to you. There is nothing that can challenge you. There is nothing, nothing that can hurt you or us if you are our foundation. You are our provider. You are the one who heals us. You are the banner that keeps us straight and true. You are the one that gives us peace. We live in a storm. And our anxiety gets ramped up. Our panic gets ramped up because we don't know how to react sometimes. Just like the disciples. And I pray that as we leave here that we will remember that you are the one who calms the storm within us. And that we can share you with others. That we can share you with those who have a storm raging that they don't even understand or know where to start. But it starts with you and how, and how to tame that storm. I thank you, Lord God, for all that you have given, all that you have provided. I thank you so much. I ask that you lift up those who aren't feeling well today. That it is by the power of Christ Jesus that they are healed. I think of Pastor Chris and that you just be with him. Give him strength as he shepherds a flock. That you give him the strength to be able to tell your truth that's in the Bible. That he's able to tell truth in that... um, that it is your words that speak through him every day. I thank you for his love for you. Just give thanks for his love for you. I pray, Heavenly Father, for Lloyd, as I know Lloyd is not feeling well, and I pray that you lift him up, that his body is healed miraculously. And I know there are several others that are not feeling well, and I ask that you be with them. Let them feel the Holy Spirit surge through their body to heal it. Let the Holy Spirit just be upon them in all that they have. I pray, Lord God, that as the calmer of all storms within us and outside of us, that we can just show others who you are. I thank you for that. I thank you for this day. And I pray that you be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before I leave you, I did want to um, give you one last verse. And this is from Psalm 90, and it's verses 1 and 2. 
Um, and it says, the Lord has been our dwelling place for all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He is our God for all times. All times. And we need to follow him, knowing that he built this place, that he created this place, and that he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Thank you.